Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Inside the Beltway, that music means the Hillsdale Dialogue is upon us. The last radio hour of the week when I am joined either by Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, and or one of his colleagues up there at the Lantern of the North. But I am uh, just with Dr. Arn today. We're taking a break from our series on friendship because of pretty significant events that have gone on. Uh, but I remind people at the beginning, all the Hillsdale Dialogues are collected at iTunes and Spotify under Hillsdale Dialogues. Everything Hillsdale is at hillsdale.edu, including online courses, a free subscription to Imprimus, and the applications for you rising seniors. You want to go to the best college in the United States, the Lighthouse of the North, the Lantern of the North, head to Hillsdale. Dr. Aaron, good morning. Since we last spoke, the United States Supreme Court has been shaken by a leak, an unprecedented in its entire history leak of a draft opinion, uh, and by the apparent near overturning of Roe and Casey, and by uh, threats of violence against and demonstration outside of justices' houses. I don't know where to begin, so I'll let you choose. You often say fundamental things are afoot. Well, they sure are afoot over at First Street, where the court is located. Well, first of all, uh, the leak is indecent, uh, never happened before, and the effect of the leak, and probably its purpose, is to subject the Supreme Court to immediate political pressure. And what's it, what the court is supposed to be is a bunch of these people removed from the hurly-burly of politics that decide cases between parties uh, outside the events that give rise to the, to the cases. In other words, uh, somebody's accused of murder, uh, and there's a trial. And then the question is, was the trial properly conducted? And that can get to the Supreme Court. But that's not the passions of that murder and those terrible things. That's somebody reasoning about the structure of law in America and rendering a judgment about what this means for that. And so they serve for life. They're supposed to be removed from the pressures of politics, which include, by the way, the pressures, people threatening their homes. So this is, you know, it's why did this happen? Well, it happened because passions are running high, and, and it takes the steadiness and deliberation out of the thing, and that's just terrible and a decline in America. Yeah, Doctor, and I'll have a column out tomorrow uh, if I can resolve some, some differences with my editors that says if harm falls to the justices, that the proximate cause of that harm will be the leaker, and that it is the sort of proximate cause case that bedevil first-year law students on where does causation begin, where does it end. But to me, this is very clearly intended to intimidate, and it might tip someone over. I live two miles away from the baseball field where a Bernie Sanders supporter tried to murder half the Congress. And I, I, I think when you put an opinion out like this, you are actually lighting fires that That's you're responsible right. for. And, and it's, you know, it's no, uh, uh, the respect the institutions of America com- command are at a low ebb, and that by itself is dangerous. And uh, it's, you know, I don't like Joe Biden, 
but heck fire, he got elected. And, and so, you know, you have to respect that. And uh, that's for us to carry on in a polity despite our differences. We have to do things. We have to accept that, right? There are processes of law, and they play out. You know, I'm one who argues consistently that the processes of law have been corrupted by the different way we make our laws today and the number and scope and, and intrusiveness of the laws. And I think that's all wrong. But the solution for that is to pass laws that stop that practice, and that's a political process. And yesterday or, or two days ago, they had a vote in the United States Senate saying, well, we'll, make, we'll federalize abortion to the last day of pregnancy. And it failed. But that, it, that would be the correct response if someone doesn't like the revocation of 50 or 49 years, to be specific, of bad case law. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that in a second, but I want to throw this at you. I had lunch this week with a Supreme Court clerk who has risen quite significantly inside the Beltway to a position of authority. And what that clerk told me is, while they're very disappointed and shocked, they are not surprised because of the shattering of all norms, it was only a matter of time. Yeah. What do you think of that resignation? Well, that's, you know, we have, to, we have to combat that. We have to be indignant about this and find ways to repair it. But, yeah, that's right. It, it's dangerous, right? People don't trust anything. And, you know, these, uh, the opinion itself, which I've been reading and almost finished, is a tour de force in my reading of it. But above all, it's decisive, and it has a majority, apparently has a majority on the Supreme Court. And that's, you know, that, that gives it the same standing as Roe v. Wade. And, and so that has to be taken seriously. And, uh, it, you know, it's uh, the, whole, the whole thing about abortion since 1973 has been an amazing federalization of something that's not properly, properly the, the province of the federal government. It, it, uh, a wise friend of mine and yours, uh, Congressman Cox, when he was in the Congress, he used to say, some people think abortion is cosmetic surgery, and some people think it's murder. Uh, murder and cosmetic surgery have in common that they are under the authority of the states. And, and so, you know, that's, uh, I, I, as I read this opinion, what it does is it returns the question to the place where it belongs. It will, it will leave undisturbed the abortion regimes, which are quite liberal in California, New York, and many other states, and it will ratify the abortion regimes of every other state that has put into place reasonable restrictions on abortion, which is a supermajority position. I know a lot of polling say a majority favors Roe v. Wade. Nobody knows what Roe v. Wade means. A majority actually favors reasonable, supermajority, reasonable restrictions on abortion. And that is where we'll come back to after the break. I want to tarry one moment longer, though, on this clerk. If that were a Hillsdale graduate, would you say you had failed, that they thought themselves so important and their mission so great that they would uh, break the oath that they took to the court and the laws of the United States? Yeah, I'd be horrified. You know, and let's say there are many Hillsdale students have been and are clerks on the Supreme Court. Yes. And they would never do that. I mean, surely they would never do that. And if they did, I would spank them. 
<laughs> Why are you sure they would never do that? I'm interested in this is actually I, I agree. I would I'd, I'd resign my radio show. I would go into retirement if a Hillsdale graduate broke their oath this way. And I believe that for a particular reason. Why do you believe? It? Well, they took a, They made a promise. Right. And they've you know, these I happen to know these people. They're both men and women and they have prepared themselves intensely for years, right? They're young when they get on, uh, become clerks for a judge or especially a justice. But, this, you know, sleepless nights for decades, uh, not quite decades, to get Close to one to decade. This. Close to one decade. Four years and, at Hillsdale, three years in law school, at least one year on an appellate court. That's right. And so they've, you know, it's a high station. And they look up to it and have a reverence for it and think that they have to do their duty. And uh, they don't. Uh, and see, you know, the education of a person is chiefly in that person. That means that these kids are not great because we made them great. Uh, we helped them become as great as they could be. And, you know, their particular kind of greatness involves a sort of obedience to the truth and to the if you're going to be a lawyer, I mean, goodness sakes, uh, lawyers are held in widespread contempt and widespread esteem. And the esteem comes from their officers of the court. They study the law to help the court find the truth and do the right thing. And contempt, uh, they distort arguments, they... Uh, you know, I mean, some some amount of that is okay, right? But in the interest of their client, but in constitutional arguments in particular, that's you know, if you if you argue anything, how can anybody believe you? And and and, and what I'm saying is, I, I I don't think Hillsdale has graduated perfect people, but I'm unaware of any wicked person who has come out of Hillsdale. And this is a wicked act. It endangers people's lives and the lives of their family. It endangers the rule of law. It destroys trust in an institution. And it's the breach of an oath. I just don't think you could do that. So there are students of mine who've clerked on the Supreme Court. And when I talk to them about the court, court, they do not betray confidence. Right? And that's, you know, I wouldn't ask them to, and they wouldn't do that. And they wouldn't do that. And when we come back from break, we're going to start talking about the substance of what happens... America, it's Hugh Hewitt talking with Dr. Larry Arn. We will resume and conclude over the next couple of weeks our series on friendship. But today we are talking about the Dobbs decision pending at the court, the draft majority opinion of which was released by a leaker, a person who did a bad act, who could be contrite and confess. Dr. Arn, I wonder, do you think it's cowardly for them not to step forward at this point? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh... In other words, they've done a thing that they're sworn not to do, and it's a consequential thing, and the only way to make that right and it is, is confession. And it would actually do some good if they did that, because then they could add their own testimony to the, to the argument that that's a bad thing to do. And, and you know, Dr. Arn, there are on the web, many, many people speculating based upon resume and advocacy as to who the leaker is. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's wrong because 
you know, it, it would be the perfect candidate for someone to throw shade on if you were, in fact, the leaker. There are 36 clerks, maybe 37 if the chief gets five, but I think he gets four. Uh, 36 clerks, and a shadow is over all of them, including two of your graduates. Now, you and I can sit here and say, well, they, they couldn't have done it there, Hillsdale, but nobody else knows that. There, there is a suspicion from the left, a suspicion from the right. They have cast a cloud on their colleagues, which is yeah. itself another sin. And, you know, was it a clerk, by the way? I mean, it is my assumption that that is the only person given that I've been up there to see the chief justice once and the people who work at the court work there for decades. It would be like your 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 front office at the president's office at Hillsdale betraying you. Nobody does that. It doesn't happen. Yeah. And if that's true, then, you know, and clerks are young and consequences are huge and there's. you know, they become, I mean, first of all, my experience with the clerks I've known, and not all of them are students of, of mine, m- many are, but is that they're so busy. I mean, first of all, they're drained, especially at this time of year. Yes. Because the, the year of the court is coming to an end, and, they're, and you know, they've, they've been basically operating with almost no sleep for a year. But actually... Because of the nature of, you know, if you go to a top law school, it's hard. You stay up all night. You master tons of information. Uh, you know, they have proved themselves capable of doing that and having the stamina to do that. And so my experience is most of them are not playing politics into the night, right? They're, they're writing into the night. And when I see the ones I know, and, you know, there's and a lot of them over the years, not just Hillsdale graduates. Uh, it's fun for them to have a break and talk about something else. You know? <laughs> and, uh, it's, uh, uh, and I'm not, you know, tight with, you know, I'm, I, I have the honor not to be a lawyer, but rather an educated man. And so <laughs> <laughs> I'm not their equal in discussing all that stuff anyway. And uh, so, yeah, I don't, I, it, it just seems... Contrary to the culture as I know it, and uh, it, 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 it is so. I, I did not clerk on the Supreme Court. I clerked on the D.C. Circuit. There was a D.C. Circuit on which sat uh, Robert Bork, Antonin Scalia, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and some marvelous judges. My judge got sick, and so those three judges gave me cases. I got to work with them. Every judge is serious about their business and is they're ideological. They have a theory of the law, but they would never betray each other. When my judge got sick, I mean, Ruth Bader Ginsburg came down and put me to work because it was her friend. Nino Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, there are pictures of them going to the opera for years. There's a level at which lawyers and especially justices disagree that would never, never tolerate this. Everybody, you know, I... The little I know about this, everybody likes Stephen Breyer. Yes, you know what a good guy and and uh, courteous and friendly and Funny. reasonable. Funny and so and you know they remember the 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 culture of the Supreme Court has an interest in that because they're a little bit like uh, a faculty or like the U.S. Senate. There aren't that many of them. They're going to work together for a long time. If their relations are bitter, it degrades the quality of their lives. And that was what Tani did in Dred Scott. 
uh, break the court for a while. It will be repaired. I'm coming back now to talk about the actual decision in its draft form with Dr. Larry Arn. As the Hilldale Dialogue continues, go nowhere, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. We resume our, and conclude in the next couple of weeks, our series on friendship. But I wanted to take today with Dr. Arn to talk about the Dobbs case, which is before the court, and maybe the judgment will issue opinions to follow. It was, by the way, Dr. Arn, Senator Cotton's strong uh, advocacy on this program and elsewhere that the court immediately released the judgment, that is, Roe and Casey overturned by 6-3 or 5-3-1 or whatever it is, the judgment opinions to follow in order to minimize the physical risk to the justices. I think that's a grand idea. It hasn't happened yet. What do you think? Uh, Well, there's an argument for that, and there's an argument for just sticking to the procedure, right, which, by the way, is coming to a head any day, right? I mean, it's... it's, uh, Not later than July 4th. Yeah, and so... uh, it, it uh, you know, not to be affected by this is also a claim, and that's the first one that occurred to me. But Senator Cotton is a wise man, and you know he anticipated better than I did the level of violence of all this. You know, I mean, it. You know, the the point is, it's like uh, in the mafia. You know, there was a code in the Politburo. Better better example. Uh, in the Politburo, a member of the Politburo was shot in a Politburo meeting one time. And so they decided after that they're not going to do that anymore. Bad for morale? Yeah, you know, wow, you know, surely there's some someplace where we can be safe, right? In other words, just good functioning, right? And, and so go after people's families. The mafia apparently didn't do that. No. And uh, if they didn't, kudos to them, uh, even if they were murdering each other. So that's, you know, that's just, you know, the first thing, let's go after their homes. And yeah. uh, that's just too bad. It's a low but, point. Yeah. Now, however, it will be a high point. I've been teaching con law since 1996, and I've been practicing it since uh, the D.C. Circuit in 1983. Roe was always wrong. It has never been right. And I emphasize that. I teach abortion cases with the, uh, the introduction that there may be people sitting in your row who have had abortions or, or love people who have. And about this conversation, we ought to be tactful and decent and non-condemning. Let's talk about the law. So here I am talking about the law, not the issue of abortion, not the moral quality, but the fundamental nature of the Supreme Court. There is nothing of abortion in the federal constitution. There never has been. There is marital privacy. There is in that unenumerated right, the right to get married and to control. And it was upheld by the court in the 20s, the right to raise your children as you see fit. And that right to privacy became a right to contraception in marriage and then outside of marriage. But from there to abortion is a Grand Canyon leap that was made in 73. And, Dr. Arndt, it has never not been a divisive issue since. No. And, you know, it's always been a... Uh, so, first of all, abortion is a is a extraordinary thing, right? It's uh, uh, at some point along the way, and, you know, there are arguments about how early and how late, 
a thing that is not a human being becomes a human being. Uh, Thomas Aquinas' argument about that, uh, always go back to somebody wise and, and from a long time ago if you can, his argument was, was that uh, abortion was a wrong any time because you have a potential human life. <clears throat> but it's not murder until quickening, right, until a certain stage of development. And that sort of fits with the kind, and, you know, he, he and, and, you know, the argument goes a little farther. Uh, the essence of a thing and the form of the thing are connected. And so when the form is full, then it can have the essence. And so, you know, that's a philosophic argument, right? And, and it's an important argument. It has consequences for all kinds of things. But still, it's true that uh, you can't see all that. I mean, now we can, by the way, and that's more information. So the point is, it's always been a, a questionable thing. You know, it's at any stage, it's always been, at a, at a minimum, a questionable thing. And, of course, late-term abortions are, you know, you're killing a baby. Infanticide. My daughter is nine months pregnant. My daughter-in-law is eight months pregnant. And if anyone wants to argue to me those aren't babies, they're just, I mean, they're fools, right? And I don't call people fools because it's, it's against uh, Old Testament injunction, but it's simply foolish to so argue. Now, there are extremely rare cases where the life of the mother is threatened by the birth of the baby. No one is talking about that. Joe Biden said we would outlaw that immediately, MAGA people would. That's simply not true. It's a lie. But on this, on this point, what you just said was grave and prudential and cautious. And the media is anything. It's, it's divisive. It's either wildly ignorant, stupid, or deceitful when it comes to covering what will abortion be in the United States after this. But I, I'm curious if you think it will settle, if the issue will settle. Not, not meaning everyone will agree, but that it will recede from the front line of controversy. Well, it, it, you know, first of all, I mean, American politics are in a mess right now, a very grave mess. But it, it can't hurt, can't hurt to return the matter to the place where it belonged all along, right? We are a self-governing people. And, and so <clears throat> the opinion, when does it become fully a human being, that, 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 uh, involves partly some technical information that few people have. I don't. But it also involves a moral judgment. And the making of moral judgments is what democratic processes do, and they're to be made under constitutional procedures by the majority. And so that's how abortion, that, that's where it exists in American law until 1973. And, and that means that this rule... That, you know, I mean, first of all, uh, who, who wrote that? Potter Stewart wrote that? Uh, Harry oh, Blackman. Harry, Harry Blackman, Blackman wrote the Roe thing. Sorry, I'm not... I'm not Potter in- Stewart was in the dissent, I, I believe, with Byron White. I don't want to slander him. I, it, was, it was a stupid... It was the worst opinion of yeah, modern so times. I, I just maligned Potter, Potter Stewart, and I take yeah. it back. But, it, you know, first of all, three trimesters. That, that's what's in Roe. And that's discarded, according to Alito and Casey. It was. But it never made any sense. You know, it... Uh, it didn't. It, no. it, you know, like, you know, you, you, we, we talk about our grandchildren. I have a two-week-old grandson now. 
Oh, congratulations. Did you name him Hugh? Uh, no, I think uh-huh. he's been named uh, William Frederick, and we haven't thought of his real name yet. Uh, I've been proposing Roscoe. Oh, I, I go for Roscoe. You betcha. Yeah, you. but no, nobody else likes that. And in <laughs> the end, mother will decide. Yes. Uh, uh, and the great Charlotte, you know, who is the most important being on earth, our, our granddaughter, she is, she's become acquainted with the fact that she's not the only being on earth. And, and, and this has troubled the waters? Oh, yeah. Well, she, she, uh, <laughs> she does something really great. She puts her feet on the ground and her head on the ground and cries. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is an earthquake. Yeah. It is an earthquake. I mean, you know, it, uh, so it, uh, you know, and these, it, it's, but see, like, you know, the experience of a late-term pregnancy is just weeks old with me and my daughter said something interesting she i said you know because she was great with child and i said yes when are you going to have this baby and she said gotta be soon there's not room here for both of us (laughs) (laughs) you see we're laughing we're celebrating life and we're celebrating you know it's it is as old as there are scriptures of any faith celebrating birth of children which is why this is a moral question, which is why it's committed to the states and the police power. And if anyone knew a damn thing about the Constitution, it wouldn't even be hard. I often say to my students, constitutional law is not hard, but we have made it so. The the document was written with the intention of being understood by individual people who were not lawyers. And, you know, the structure of the Constitution, which is, in my opinion, beautiful, it does, in fact, depend upon many things not in it. And one of the main ones is, well, it's in it, too. The vast range of things that are left to us, and specifically left to us locally, right? Because we can figure things out. Uh, this, like this school choice debate says, you know, that to nationalize that thing, which there's a rule in the education department right now they're proposing that, puts all this diversity, equity, inclusion stuff as a mandate on charter schools. But the truth is, that's, you know, a charter school, like every other school in the land, is full of the most important people who are teachers, parents, and children. And they know each other. And so education is properly done by them. And uh, Tocqueville says of the American administrative system, uh, It's built on the idea that each person is the best judge of the things that concern chiefly himself and each community so as well. And so that means that, we, you know, this stroke of uh, nationalizing uh, uh, the abortion thing, by, by the way, an old man who's a lawyer, right, what does he know? That just is not, that's foreign to the American constitutional system. And, and, you know, if we tried to codify in an absolute and difficult-to-change law every moral question, you know, we would have the Napoleonic Code on steroids. And it is not possible. You can't do it, you know. And so that, this whole thing is, uh, as a constitutional matter, is absurd on its face. And, and that means that it has to be turned, returned to the political process. And, you know, most things in America are not intended to be 
solved by a great national referendum. Or as Justice uh, Scalia famously wrote in dissent, here we are again, the majority vote of nine unelected justices deciding the law of the United States. And it's uh, and he bemoaned it. I'll be right back with Dr. Arn for a final segment and this week's Hillsdale Dialogue on the pending Dobbs decision and the leak and much, much more justices entrusting them when we return to conclude this week's Hillsdale Dialogue. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I do want to touch on a political question. The legal question will out eventually with Dr. Larry Arn in this Hillsdale Dialogue, all things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. All these dialogues collected at iTunes and Spotify. Just search for Hillsdale Dialogues iTunes and you'll get 450 of them or something like that. Um, the Casey decision came down in 1992. It was the moment at which Roe was supposed to be reversed 19 years after it was issued. But at that point, Justice O'Connor, appointed by Reagan, and Justice Kennedy, appointed by Reagan, and Justice Souter, appointed by H.W. Bush, those two men ran on pro-life uh, constitutional amendments to prevent abortion. They sought justices who would overturn Roe. They had beliefs that those three justices would. Now, H.W. also put on the great and wonderful Clarence Thomas, and so uh, his record is mixed. Uh, Reagan swung in a mist on the O'Connor and Kennedy and so these justices took office on an appointment from a president with a clear expectation, and they did not disavow it. I think a lot of distrust in government begins there, Larry Arndt. When you win three presidential elections in a row, a salient issue of which is ending abortion at the federal level, and the judges that you get out of it do exactly the opposite. I think that has long plagued the American judiciary. Yeah. And, you know, to whom are they responding? Like, uh, Lord knows what the American people think versus about Roe versus Wade. They don't know what it is. Uh, they just know they hear it all the time. But what do they think about abortion? There's a very large majority that think late-term abortions is very bad. Yes. And And so that's, you know, that's sort of a given, right? And then very early, probably, I don't know, but probably most people think uh, that's okay. Uh, a vast majority would believe in the day after pill. Yeah, yes. there you go. And so, so in the middle, how do you figure that out? You know, and I'm not saying anything about my own opinions right now. But, Neither am I. I'm just, uh, yeah. it, it, uh, so how do you figure that out? Well, the answer is, these guys don't know any more about this than we do, right? That's not what they're to be knowledgeable about. They're to be knowledgeable about the Constitution of the United States and the way it works. And so to read into that document a solution to that problem, to put it to rest forever, well, has it put it to rest? <laughs> uh, Alito points out in his opinion that it was an explicit purpose of the Casey decision to put this to rest. Is it resting? And it was Dred Scottish. It was so hubristic. We three justices are going to tell you how, and it's over. It's over, it's over. It's over. Of course it wasn't over. See, uh, this opinion, Alito's opinion, if it's issued, which pray, uh, it doesn't purport to do that. It, what it says is states are going to have to figure this out. 
and extensively, by the way, they have. Uh, you know, there's the, the, the deep blue states, and they're all about protecting the right to abortion. And there's the red states, and, you know, there's not any of them that I know of that intend to forbid it in all cases. And moreover, there is in the Alito opinion, you may not have gotten there at the very end, a rational basis test will apply. And if any state was so improvident as to ban abortion in cases where the life of the mother was threatened, that would be struck down as irrational. Yeah. And that's, you know, now you're deciding who lives and who dies. And uh, uh, that, you know, by the way, pray that one never meets that choice. Right. That's a terrible choice. And but who's to make that choice? It uh, uh, it is true that the baby is unprotected in that case, and yet you have to let the mother and the father make that choice. I mean, I you know how would I make that? That that is the common law. That is the Catholic Church teaching. That is every pro-lifer I have met. Moreover. There is not one pro-lifer who believes that the mother in any of these circumstances should ever be punished if the law against abortion is violated. There is no one wants to punish the mother. It's only the industry that has grown up about it. It has so corrupted our politics. And I, and I want to close on this. When the branches of government depart from or a fourth branch, the administration has created, it distorts all of American politics, much to the worse. Mm-hmm. Well, the Supreme Court is being lobbied as if they were a legislature. Yes. Right? And that's because they've been acting like one. And, that, and, it, and that's, you know, you're supposed, you know this, what, what's all this about robes and forms and reserve, right? That's a sign that when we approach adjudication of law, which is different than making law, right? Making law is a bunch of arguments. And they can be heated. They're supposed to be civil, but they can be hated. And and executing law, that's active. you got to move, right? Yeah. Adjudicating law, that's to be removed from the hurly-burly. And it has not been, but hopefully it will soon be back in the arms of the state legislature. Dr. Iron and I will be back next week talking about Michael Matane and his wonderful essay on friendship. Do not miss it on the next edition of the Hillsdale Dialogue. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.